Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You got Logan Jones here with Evan Knowles. We just had an awesome episode with Land Betterment. And this was an awesome awesome episode for a couple of reasons, but we kind of kicked off a new tradition on this episode that I'm pretty excited about. So anyone that knows me knows that I, I'm a big fan of bourbon. And when we got on the phone with, uh, with Land Betterment, with Kirk, he uh, told us his story and then followed up with an email and said, let's do this interview uh, over some bourbon. I was obviously pumped about the idea, so I think this is going to be our new tradition. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, we've considered bringing a bottle of bourbon onto the episode with us. We've just never done it. This was a good excuse to start doing it. Uh, so we kind of we're looking at it as as merging the tradition, the old Kentucky tradition of bourbon, uh, with the the new the tech um, that's emerging in this area right now. So we're excited about that. I'm really excited about that. Um, so I'm, I got all dramatic and did an unveiling of our bourbon, so I'll let you wait a couple more minutes until you guys see that. Um, but Kirk, got, Kirk was sipping on some, uh, some Bullet Tenure, and then Mark had the, the Rare Blantons, which is a favorite of mine as well. What did you think of that, Evan? It was awesome. So we've had a few guests. So Land Betterment's working in you know, Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia, Indiana area, you know, where coal mining was prominent. We've had some guests on um, that are working in that same area. So App Harvest is doing really amazing things out there. Uh, Justin Hall with BitSource. Um, and, and, you know, this is continuing on the tradition of, you know, innovation is everywhere. There is innovation in Lexington, Louisville, Cincinnati, but even, you know, in the places where coal mines uh, were prevalent and people overlook that area, yeah. don't think that they're innovating anymore, um, but they are. You know, there are people that care about that region and want to bring innovation to it and we're going to cover that as well um, you know and it's not just traditional software and hardware technology it's really just innovation you know middle tech was is, is created to talk about you know first and foremost entrepreneurs technology and innovation um, and that can be found again anywhere in the world so we want to make yeah. sure that we're continuing to cover that um, in all regions of um, kentucky um, so that's really important to us yeah kirk actually hit on it there for a little bit um, talking about he may not, most people may not consider this a, a technology company. And, you know, you hear middle tech and you might think technology, but like Evan mentioned, we like highlighting all this stuff. And then Kirk started diving in. I thought this was really neat. He started diving into all the different softwares they use to make this stuff happen. Every company is a software Every company. Every company is they a software to. company these days. They have so, to be. Yeah. So that's, that's the stance we take on this is like you have, if you're wanting to innovate and if you're wanting to do something new and exciting and big, like these guys are doing, You've got to be a tech company in some yeah. way or another. So. Workflows are yeah. now enhanced and oftentimes built um, on using software. Yep. You know, so you have to have that element to tie things together and you know accelerate your growth. If you don't have mm -hmm. modern software tools, um, that's going to be a hindrance. Um, and so everybody has to embrace it. Yeah. So we're very excited for you guys to hear this episode. We're going to go ahead and get into it. sitting down with Kirk Taylor and Mark Jensen today of Land Betterment. How are you guys doing today? Great. How are yourself? We're doing well. We're doing well. I'm excited for this episode because Kirk recommended that we uh, we do this episode over some bourbon, which we've been talking about for a while. So I've got one of my favorite bottles of bourbon uh, <laughs> that I'm that I'm on right now, New Riff, single barrel. 
Um, we're, we're vying for their sponsorship right now by bringing it on the show. You're going to have to make it a tradition. It's going to be a tradition. And We've I've been talking my, about making it a tradition for a while. <laughs> I've got my favorite uh, bourbon glass from my friend Trent Woods that he got me for graduation. It's got the city of Lexington on it. So we're going we're gonna to go and have some bourbon. Mixing uh, traditional Kentucky values with some technology talk here. So I think it's pretty cool how we actually got connected here. And I want to give a shout out real quick to Jake Butler at uh, Endeavor Louisville. He's the he's the liaison here that connected us. Just connected us over email, shot out a little intro, told us about what you guys were doing, and then we got to hop on the phone and have a conversation. Now here we are. So uh, a big thanks to Jake for, for hooking us up here. We're excited to tell your guys' story. Um, and yeah, we'll just kind of dive in from there. If each of you guys want to give your background real quick, and then we'll we'll start getting into what land betterment is. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. Um, yeah, Jake is great. He is a wealth of knowledge and very passionate about helping entrepreneurs as well. Um, so yeah, like you said, Kirk Taylor, from, originally from Northwest Indiana, just outside of Chicago, uh, went down to Indiana University to study finance and accounting. That's where I met Mark. Um, after school, I went up to Chicago with my wife and we lived up there for about 12 years. I worked in public accounting, one of the largest public accounting firms in the country, mainly focused on clients who invested in underserved communities. So either affordable housing, uh, historic building rehabilitation, or even commercial development in distressed uh, communities. And so I learned a lot about both what goes right and what goes wrong. And, and we'll touch upon this a little bit later, but in almost every single case, what went wrong was caused by the developer, the owner, not listening to the community about what they wanted. And it's so important when you're making an investment in any community that you really listen to all the stakeholders and not necessarily just the spreadsheets when you're making those decisions. So um, after being in public accounting for 15, 16 years, I uh, joined back up with Mark. Um, he he he'll tell his story, but um, he went on his own, started uh, a, a business, and we came together on the structuring side, putting the processes in place, building it, scaling it. Uh, several acquisitions we've done together, uh, with the eventual outcome of actually being listed on the Nasdaq. So uh, we went through that process a little over 14 months ago with a with a different company. Uh, very eye-opening, and uh, we'll touch on Paul and that a little bit later too, as to why we've chosen the financing path we have chosen for land betterment. Really, based upon our experiences, uh, both as entrepreneurs and business owners, um, and we're just really excited. We're excited to talk to you guys, get the message out that middle America, rural America, doesn't have to be passed over. There's tremendously hardworking people that uh, are ready for investment in their features they're willing to supply the hard work along with the capital to really have an amplifying effect so again appreciate you guys i'll let mark give give a little bit of his own intro hey guys thanks for having us on um we're obviously pretty passionate about what we do i was uh also born and raised in indiana um so i'm a, a midwestern guy moved out to new york when i graduated from iu um, and studied in australia for a little bit in between but moved out there to do turnaround consulting. So basically I joined a small M&A shop where we bought small businesses, fixed them, and then sold them. And uh, 
I was a student loan guy when I moved out there and made a few bucks and was just tired of working for somebody else. I think I grew up somewhat from an entrepreneurial family and, and the idea of building something and, and starting our own company was just a lot more passionate for me than, than working for a big company that you, you kind of had to do things the exact same way over and over again. And that logic didn't sit well with me. Um, so after about three years, uh, we had invested a bunch of money in different companies. Um, and me and my business partner who met at the first job, we, we moved out to, when I moved out to New York, we basically came together with the idea we were going to invest in and start an infrastructure company and had no background in it whatsoever. But we figured at the end of the day, we've, we've been around anything from technology to plumbing companies. And uh, so we, we can get arms around an infrastructure mining company. And that brought us down to Easter, Kentucky. And so that was in 2006 and fell in love with it. I mean, just being from Indiana, being from rural America to be able to bring business back to those neck of the woods and being able to be outside and just experience something totally different was, was pretty awesome. Being in the infrastructure mining business, you obviously see a lot of cycles too, but you saw just a crazy amount of things that went wrong too. I mean, there was just no adaptability and there was no people thinking for the future. And, and so being in that, we, we did it for, we've been in it and still, still in it on the infrastructure side and just saw what happened to the community as the utility generation changed from going from traditional coal-based fuels to natural gas and then alternatives. It was, we just saw a crazy opportunity there to, to make a difference. And that led us in the path of, of land betterment. And Kirk joined us seven years ago now, which seems like two. Um, the half, and the team has just continued to build and continue to go together where it's, it drove us in the path of, of land betterment of what we can do there and, and truly make a difference and, and have just a ton of fun doing it where it's, I mean, working with other entrepreneurs and, and bringing new ideas and new logic to the table, which we've done in our infrastructure side, now doing it on this platform. It just feels like we can touch so many more people. That's awesome. It sounds like the perfect segue to go ahead and talk about what is land betterment. So two to three years ago, as I mentioned, we were, seeing the change of utilities and uh, the idea that coal-based power was diminishing. And so what happened was a bunch of thermal coal mines were shutting down and we saw the need for the, basically to repurpose that land. I mean, there was just basically infrastructure and, and land sitting there just rotting in place and nothing being done with it, let alone the environmental impact that it had. So we came up with the concept of, okay, we can, we can remediate that. We, given our experiences, we can remediate it faster and better than other people. Problem was it, we, we saw a lack of jobs being placed in the community. So we had really hardworking people and we got hit pretty hard by it. Just personally, we had friends that got laid off that, I mean, used to guys who used to work with us a long time back that went other places and then saw them a few years later and, one guy, for example, ran into a drug problem and passed away a few years later from it. And that, that hit hard. Um, so land betterment, the whole concept is we can go in and remediate these impacted lands from thermal coal mining, reclaim it, and go to the place where you can bring it back to its original environment, while at the same point, utilize that impacted land for sustainable businesses. So <clears throat> the idea of Kentucky and Southern Indiana, where these are I mean, probably some of the hardest working people you ever find that getting laid off is that's, that's super hard. Like, I mean, 
and I, I'm not saying that somebody doesn't work hard when they get laid off, it's not hard too, but these guys are like, it, it just hit them really hard to be able to not support their families. So we wanted to bring real logic and real simplified businesses. I mean, and using the technology side of it and the idea that you can simplify a business to bring new businesses to these environments that are sustainable, but also met the skill set of the people. Um, so land betterment takes these impacted lands and then redevelops sustainable business on top of it. So we have coal craft spirits in Indiana, which we're starting pretty soon. You're going to have to try our own bourbon, um, maybe a few years later, but, uh, we're, we'll be doing our own vodka line, gin line, and actually growing the rye and wheat right on the property that we're reclaiming, which is super cool. That's awesome. And then, uh, rubber recycling business. So we're actually taking old mining tires and rubber tires. I mean, living in Eastern Kentucky for 13 years now and, um, spending about half my time there you drive around probably one of the prettiest areas in the world and you see tires in the river and it just got under my skin every time I did it just because I'm a nature guy. Yeah. And so we came up with the idea, like, well, let's clean this up. And then it transformed a couple of years later. And, and, and now today where we just getting ready to sign an MOU with our equipment provider to take that, those tires, recycle them, turn them into rubber mulch, put them into asphalt, um, turn them into TDF and TDA and other products can be used out of that recycled rubber. So you're cleaning up the environment. And then meeting the job criteria of what the community needs because it's working with heavy equipment. And it's, I mean, to me, it's, it's super cool. And that's really what Land Betterment focuses on is trying to provide good paying jobs that met the skill set of the community while also cleaning up the environment and repurposing the environment, upcycling it to better purposes. Kirk, is there anything you want to add to that before we go on to this next question? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you guys are talking about molding old world uh, Midwest values with tech, our business lines are not, the output is not tech. We're not a SaaS company, but like Mark touched on, we're able to have a streamlined platform for these businesses because <clears throat> we use Dropbox for all our data storage. You know, we were very comfortable with virtual meetings before because we are in multiple places at one time. Um, the accounting software we use is all in the cloud and it always has been. Um, so we don't have to recreate data rooms or I'm sorry, you know, server rooms. Um, we don't have that expense. We don't have that anchor behind us. We can work wherever we're at. When we mm -hmm. drive from Indiana, Kentucky, that's five hours of work uh, just as if we're sitting uh, behind our desks. And so we embrace leanness um, which is, which technology enables. And so, um, we're excited about the acceptance now, uh, more acceptance of video conferences because, um, there are several meetings that would take us to the coasts, right. And you're shot two days of travel, um, big hassle. And what we're seeing now is that we can have just as impactful meeting, but virtually, so one of the outcomes of, of the state we're in now is I think that there's some more acceptance for the people on the coast, have video conference, see people face to face, and then move along on the get to know you phase instead of waiting for flight times and, and all that, what we used to have to go through. You had mentioned that one of the most important things that you learned <clears throat> previously when you were working with that public accounting agency was, you know, when you do these underserved um, you know, when you, when you help these communities that are underserved, one of the most important parts you learned was you've got to get the input from the community. They've got to be involved. When you got into, you know, Eastern Kentucky and these places where these coal mines are, 
what were they doing previously with these spaces? Were they even looking at them as a potential uh, opportunity or were they just saying this is dead? This is not going to be anything. Give us an idea of what these people's mindsets were, you know, when you guys began speaking with them. No hope, I guess, yeah. is the simplest thing. Uh, here's scarred land. Um, it was a thermal coal mine. It's someone else's job to clean it up. Um, the government will eventually step in. Tremendous cost to the taxpayers. Um, no one was coming up with innovative ideas on that space. The simplest thing the government would want you to plant new trees. Trees are beautiful to look at. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with them, but they don't create a job. Yeah. They don't help feed your family. And when there's already impacted land that's cleared out, there's not much clear land in Appalachia. Why not make a sustainable business on that land and give the community uh, some pride? So we've been talking to the community for over two years on each of these business lines, making sure that they would be well, recept re well received you don't want to put a factory or uh, tech, uh, you know, uh, call center in a location where no one will go to work there. Um, we want to make sure we provide the jobs that our individuals, potential employees really desire. We've had a tremendous amount of response already, uh, which is just some of the limited press we've had. Mark maybe can speak to some of the response we've already received. Our phones are ringing off the hook with former coal miners who uh, want these jobs. They want to get retrained um, and help make an impact in their communities. That's well, and to drive into that, I mean, go a little bit deeper, talk about the people, right? I mean, it's, so you had, everybody was, everybody always says that a coal miner wants to be a coal miner their entire life. And that's what they were born and raised. And they're, pri they're prideful and they're super talented guys. And, and the, and, and they love it. And coal mining is an awesome job. Problem is what if that job's not available? And, and that's, so what happened with these lands was, I mean, they just got passed from down to, from company to company, especially through all these bankruptcies. And, and they literally just sat there with the hopes that it's going to come back. And, and not that, I mean, we're, we're, we own a big company that does metallurgical coal. It's used for infrastructure purposes. The, but the thermal side is just getting hammered so hard that it's not going to come back. So what happened was these lands just sat there. And the steel and everything just rusted in place and, and nothing was ever done with it. And the people didn't have an opportunity. So from our perspective, I mean, if we didn't do anything, they'd probably sit there for another 20 years and there'd be no productivity out of it. Oh. And what Kirk was mentioning was the cool thing about it was everybody saying that you can't do something different here. And it's typically coming from the upper echelons there where they're like, well, they don't want anything different. They want coal mining because they own the land and they want it mined and they want they want royalties from it, but in all reality, the, the people are embracing this. Like the, the rubber recycling business, we've had so many people apply for it already and we haven't even purchased, like we've, we're finalizing the engineering on the equipment and they're super amped up about it. Like they're excited about something new. They're excited about being a part of the change where it's, I mean, to me, that was, that was something I was nervous about. Like would the mm -hmm. people want this job? And, and I knew it meant their skill set. I mean, I knew it came to electricity, it came to mechanical, it came to processes, which these guys do super well. But to get the people involved and get them excited about it, that was, that was awesome. I mean, that was, that was probably a game changer for us. So I think one of the first questions that popped into my head when I'm thinking about these projects you guys are doing. So I've been up to a golf, a golf course called Stonecrest in Paintsville, Kentucky, and it was a, a mountaintop removal mine originally. And looking out at that, being able to have the vision 
to look out at this big piece of land and say, okay, we're going to turn it into this. We're going to, you know, we're going to turn it into a golf course or a farm and a, and a distillery. Talk about how you guys actually get into a business like this, where you're taking this piece of land that a lot of people are looking at and saying, this is hopeless. And you guys are, are taking a vision and making it happen on this piece of land. Um, I'll, I'll jump in there. We're insane. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have, we have mental problems. No, um, we, I mean, it's a little bit of everything comes together that enables it to happen. One, it's, it's the trying to match the skill set of the labor force and the desire of the labor force, but also looking at what can be a productive business line. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, could, is it going to generate positive, sustainable employment? Meaning, is it going to make money? And so looking at the different properties, it's the one thing we saw was not all business models make sense on every single property. It's got to be tailored specifically to that asset and that community. So for Indiana example, when we did Cold Craft Spirits, um, when we came up with the concept of it was we were partnering with some of the most talented guys out of Kentucky that have started three spirits companies in the last five years. So we had, we knew we had the talent base there. They came to us with the idea that we could contract manufacture for them. So we knew we had a revenue source and the ability of branding the product line to make it something that was unique where, I mean, we're coal crash spirits. We're paying tribute to coal miners and the hard work and effort they put forth in the industrialization. And then farm to bottles, we're in farming country. So it fit just so perfectly for what we're doing there. And then, I mean, on the rubber recycling, I mean, that was, we felt like we had three impacts there where it was, we were not only providing a product that we know people want and rubber mulch and, um, and putting rubber into the asphalt and the roads is, I mean, and so much road, I mean, drive around Eastern Kentucky, you know that they're doing a lot of road projects um, and it will be for the next 20 years that it, but it also, it, so it met the skill set and it cleaned up the environment and then it provided a, a strong revenue generating base. I mean, and that's where I think we bring a little bit of uniqueness to the table in that we can tailor our projects to meet the needs and the desire of the community, but also can make money. And if they don't make money, they just don't survive very long. And they, we need to make sure that we're employing these people. We don't want to employ them for two years and then have to lay them off. But we want to make sure it works. And I mean, we can dive into all the other projects we're doing, but it's, I mean, it's basically partnering with experts in the space too. I mean, when we go out to do this, we're not like, I'm not a rubber recycling guy. Um, that's not my background. I wasn't a mining guy before I got into infrastructure mining either. Um, but we partner, what we've learned is you partner with the best. If you partner with the most talented people in those sectors, it'll help us become successful. Kirk, when we talked on the phone, you had talked about the unique way that you guys set up your business and incorporated. You, know, you got it in line, incentives, right? Incentives um, drive ultimately long-term growth and, and all of that. And especially if you're doing this for the sake of the community and bettering the community, talk about how you guys set this up as an entity and made sure that that aligned with your long-term goals of bringing benefit to this region. Yeah, absolutely. And so like we talked about, we need to make decisions based upon all stakeholders, the best yep. interests of the community, shareholders, local government, um, everybody who has a vested interest in these communities. And so under normal corporate law, that's not really an option. You can go the nonprofit route, but we're not a charity. We are growing real businesses that will have their own legs and will sustain themselves. And so in Indiana, you're allowed to form as a corporation, but under a benefit corporation designation, which allows you to tell anyone who reads your articles of corporation that you look out after all 
stakeholders, not just a shareholder. As a typical corporation, your sole fiduciary responsibility is a shareholder. But we chose benefit corporations so that way we can take into account uh, all stakeholders in our decision making. Um, it makes sure that we don't look out just for the bottom line, uh, but we also look out for the people involved in the environment in which we're operating. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, App Harvest, I believe, is a B Corp as well. Yeah. So there's some amazing B Corps popping up. Yeah, absolutely. And so B Corp is uh, is a rating system that you can apply for, an independent board that rates your cor- corporation both on governance, uh, environmental impact, uh, social initiatives. And we have also applied to the B Lab to be B Corp certified. We're in that review process right now. Gotcha. That's awesome. Um, you know, let's jump into some specific projects you guys are doing. You had already mentioned uh, Coalcraft Spirits. Um, we'd love to dig into that more because I know, you know, Kirk, when we spoke on the phone, you had talked about it and, you know, Mark, you mentioned it as well. It's, you know, farm to bottle, you know, to finish bottle. You guys, I think you had mentioned you had actually the the ingredients growing right there near the site. Um, let's dig into that project um, a little bit more detail because that's a really exciting one. Um, and then maybe one of the other ones. But let's start with Coalcraft Spirits. I don't know where you guys want to start with that, but would love to dig into the details on that. So Coalcraft Spirits is based in Jasonville, Indiana. And uh, this project is, I mean, it was an old thermal coal mine with a huge pit, just massive mountains of refuse and material that needed to be moved. And stay, the, the fund that owned the project was based out of New York when bankrupt. And so we looked at it from the idea they the the bankers that were representing it called us and said would you have an interest in buying it and running it and we said we'd be interested in buying it and shutting it down and uh there's no market for it anymore and they kind of thought we were nuts and didn't know what we were really talking about but we had a vision for it and uh and with the idea that in this community i mean it's it's just like eastern kentucky is that it was it was kind of overseen it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of other nobody was really looking at what it could be and what it should be. And there's no community space in the area. I mean, it's a, but it's a really pretty area of like, like lots of trees and lakes and ponds and, and, uh, and farmland. And so when we looked at it, we said, this is, I mean, you saw, we had a huge warehouse there. You have this pit that's going to be a pond. Um, this material could be moved and we knew how to move it economically. And so we, we were looking at it and like, what, what, what really what fits this and we're like well a community center that's awesome okay but how does that make money and then our partner in kentucky called us up and said and, and we were always loved i mean not we're not huge drinkers but we've always loved the idea of craft spirits and because of the processy and the, the dedication that it takes to make something perfect and i mean and that's nowadays i mean talk about technology and and some of the new modern way of, of making spirits it was super exciting for us to to dive into that where he came and said, would you be interested in contract manufacturing for us? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're looking at starting our own brand anyways. And then looking at the idea of that in that region, there's a lot of farms and a lot of the issues they're having now, nowadays is off crop season. So a lot of corn farms. And so we, we came up with the, the concept of using our own land that we had to repurpose anyways. And we could get the environmental remediation done quicker by turning it into rye and wheat farms. In our area, and a lot of the coal miners that worked in that region had some farming experience as well. So it was, it was just kind of clicked all at once. We're like, yep, farm to bottle. I mean, why, why not? And, it makes uh, so much sense. Oh, was, and you're, I mean, it, the beautiful thing about it is from a community perspective is you're helping all the local farmers too that can grow wheat and rye as cover crops during the off season. 
fields because wheat and rye grow in the winter and all the corn grows in the summer. So you could actually help them and keep their farms cleaner and, and spend less money and make them more economical by growing cover crops on their farm as we expand. I mean, that was, and we've been approached by two guys already that own some land in the region and said, Hey, we would love to do that. Would you, would you be interested in partners? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, we're going we're gonna to need to, we're going to need a lot more wheat and rye that we can grow ourselves. So it's, uh, I mean, we're working with the local community to wrap it all in together and just got off the phone with our engineering firm on the design of the distillery itself. It's, I'm pretty soon, hopefully we're going to be drinking our own bourbon. That's Man. awesome. Yeah. We'll when, uh, whenever that opens up, yeah. you guys need to let us know. We'd love to make the road trip and, and give it a tour. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, you're going to have to come. It's going to be cool. We're going to have an amphitheater there. So the guy that runs it for us is an amazing musician. Um, and so we're actually naming the amphitheater after him just because he's been with us for so oh. long. Um, and uh, it's going to be a cool place where families can hang out. So br- bring them up and you can, you can try the spirits and your kids can hang out and listen to some music. So what's the um, timeline on getting a product to market? On Coldcraft Spirits, we're hoping by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, we'll be producing clear spirits and then we're actually in conversations to do some blending of bourbons and rice as well. So um, we're, we just had a call with the engineering firm on, on the design and it's, it could come together pretty quickly as we scale into it. I've always wondered this. Um, why, when a new bourbon distillery opens up, why do they start with you know, vodka or a clear liquor? Why, why, do they, why do they do that? The aging process. So you got uh, on any bourbons are five years to start, and then most are five to ten years, and vodkas you can pretty much sell right away. So everybody, most most new craft spirits companies start up on the they'll they'll basically run the money, making money on their clear spirits, on the vodkas, gins, and then they'll produce the good stuff later. So you dove into to cold craft spirits a little bit. Dive into one of these other ones. You guys, I'll let you guys pick which one you want to dive into, but maybe the one that you're you're most interested in, even if it's a secondary to the cold craft spirits right now. Talk about one of these other projects that you guys are working on right now as well. Yeah, so there's so many that we're so passionate about. Um, we, we talked about uh, uh, Betterment Recycled Mulch a little bit. So we'll we'll leave that one uh, for another discussion. But one of the ones that pollinate is, is great. So um, there's a need for bees, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Bees are vital for our entire ecosystem. Yeah. Um, but modern uh, agriculture in, in uh, landscaping does not really allow for bees to grow um and to create hives on their own and so we have been walking some of these shuttered uh coal mines and when you take coal out of the ground you clean the impurities the dirt out of it uh and you separate the two the coal goes to the thermal coal goes to the utilities or whatever and the other stuff goes into a refuge area um, a holler fill and there's a lot of these everywhere and they're very costly to treat and maintain but they're also very open flat land and so the idea of pollinate is to t- take that open flat land and actually commercially start uh, bee farms and beehives where you're taking this land that used to be a terrible detriment to the area and turning it into something that will regenerate upon itself and enhance the overall ecosystem. Uh, and so we're partnering with, with each county. Kentucky has like a head uh, bee master. Hmm. 
And so we're working with, yeah, with uh, each county's head bee master to uh, get the right fit, uh, the location right, uh, the equipment right. Um, and then eventually the environment part is great. I mean, that is important, but like we've said before, you need to have a business purpose for these things that they can sustain themselves. And so we'll be partnering with both Colcraft Spirits as well as other distilleries, uh, other food service companies to integrate the honey from pollinate to their products. Oh my God. So are, are most of these projects kind of tied in and synergistic in a way? It seems like all of these kind of tie into, into each other, which is awesome. I love that. That's really cool. I mean, it's kind of how they were started. I mean, just the idea yeah. of like, if you're going to do something, be able to, if you can integrate them all together, it, it helps the success of each one. And yeah, for I sure. mean, it's, and I mean, pollinate is pollinate's awesome because it ties, it ties into like three different of our subsidiaries where it's like, it's on the environmental solution side of what we do reclamation. I mean, these bees actually help things grow faster. Like growing up, I mean, this is on an old, I mean, this is on a, effectively a self-created mountain that is in a protected area. So, I mean, you don't want the bears to come get it and everything else. You really got to have it in a good area. And having the ability to process it right there, we had a, we had a huge facility right down at the bottom that was just being completely unused. I'm like, there we go. I mean, it's, it, I mean, it, this has been in the works for almost three years, but it's like every once in a while you just get one that clicks and you're like, yeah, we're, yeah. we're going to jump on that. And it's, awesome. and then people start diving around it. And like Kirk said, you go to the experts. I mean, the you bring them in and say hey this, does this make sense too and when they start jumping in they start giving us ideas and, and then you start seeing their passion grow you're like yeah i'm in love with this that's amazing so none of this was done obviously without challenges you didn't just walk in there and say boom we're putting this here we're doing we're doing it quick this is how it's going to be because <laughs> uh, it, it almost sounds too good to be true so you guys obviously had to run into some challenges and before on these episodes we always try to like give the audience the learnings to take back and apply themselves before we get into those learnings, let's first talk about those challenges. So what are some of the major challenges you ran into from the get-go with land betterment? And, and um, you know, what are some of the things that you've done to, um, you know, face those? The challenge we face most is legacy thinking and not having people buy in that they can have an opportunity to change or to innovate. Um, people have to feel it in themselves to open up their mind, to push forward. Um, and so one of the biggest problems in Appalachia is housing. Um, there's not much flat land and there's very little investment that goes into housing. Uh, if you drive down, you'll see many very old trailers lined up um, between the mountain and the road. A lot of them burn out but still being occupied. And so from my background and working with national affordable housing developers, uh, Mark is super innovative on process and outcomes. And we knew there had to be a better way to supply housing in this area. And it had to be unique. You have to, like we said, you have to make the uh, outcome match the people in the communities and the people in Appalachia, they don't want to live in apartment buildings. There's not land for it. People are independent. They want their own grass. Um, trailers are not energy efficient. They're rodent infested. And Mark scoured 
the globe looking for solutions and and came across uh, container homes. Um, Mark, you want to kind of go into that? Yeah. So, I mean, container home eco, which we haven't talked about yet, is, yeah. um, is our, we're building a 21 home site development on an old coal loadout facility. And this one's super exciting because it's energy efficient, which, I mean, we saw some of the guys there that worked for us that, I mean, they lived in a nice trailer, but the energy efficiency of them were outrageous. And I think to dive into your question, one of the frustrations of it was we've talked to, and Kirk drove this process, but, and, and we're, still, we're, we're still working through it, but it's getting through the red tape of things. And sometimes you see a vision and it makes sense. And then you're, you get just complete roadblock by this red tape processy. And you're like, what do you mean I can't do this? And what do you mean you don't, you support affordable housing, but you don't support container-based homes because they're not connected? And running into those roadblocks and the, and the red tape, for me, is super frustrating mm -hmm. because I want to do it tomorrow. And I don't want to wait to give these guys, I mean, building a, a community where people can hang out and have a bonfire and have like an awesome area to live. Like, wh why, are, why are we waiting for this? And so you happen to go through the permitting and the, I mean, and, and thankfully on our other side of our business careers, I mean, we've had 42 permits and dealt with, I mean, state regulations and God, God for known, I mean, how many have we deal with, but it's uh, getting tied up on those where it's, you see a vision and you see a path and then you get, you, you see a stop sign right in front of you and happen to, I mean, like you guys said, innovate and bring new ideas, new processes, new technologies to get in there and, and get through the permitting phase quicker and, and faster is probably the biggest headache that we've seen. And it's uh, on, and not all of our businesses need that, but I mean, the ones that do, it's, it's, that's probably the hardest part is you just gotta, you gotta cut the red tape. Yeah. And so, so what, yeah, so what do we learn is that you have to get a good vendor and you have to bring world class solutions uh, to the problem. And so we partner with um, actually, it's actually a family owned business out of Missouri who he was making these super high end container homes, um, granite countertops, stainless steel, um, awesome custom homes. And he always had in his mind a vision of doing communities, but he could never get to that point. He was just too focused on his own business. So when Mark and I were talking to him about our vision for Eco Villages, he's like, I have that written down on my piece of paper of something to do. And he just never had gotten that far. Um, so we have a vendor that shares our vision. And so when I'm talking with the state um, housing regulators, going through all the different regulations needed, he's right with me because he's so passionate about the product and the mission that we're delivering to these communities. So it's, it's vital to make sure your ecosystem of supporters um, are right there with you with the same vision and there's no competing interests. Um, we totally believe that a rising tide brings everybody up. Uh, we don't want to shut people out in this process. We're happy to innovate alongside other parties. So I think that's one of the big takeaways is make sure you have a vendor, make sure you have partners who share that vision, who know their craft, because if they don't, you'll be called out and, and you won't have any credibility. Uh, but that gets you through that red tape. So good, good partnerships is great learning there. And where do you find these people? I mean, you said he was from Missouri and you said, you know, he wasn't necessarily building communities, but you were building one. And it sounds like you guys are kind of taking a, a global approach to partners as well. Um, 
how do you find these people? Are you just scouring the internet? <laughs> yeah, Mark, you, I mean, how many calls did you do uh, at night with people from all over the world on, on finding the best housing solution or finding the best uh, recycling solution? It's a, uh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, we, we put our, I put my three and a half year old to bed and, uh, <laughs> and then my wife goes to bed and then, then I get to get on the internet and start looking and, and talking to people. I mean, honestly, if you talk to people, they want to talk to you. Like, I yeah. mean, you, you show somebody a little bit of passion and, and idea and then they just click. I mean, like our rubber recycling facility, we partnered with a group out of Oregon, um, a company called SSI and they're world renowned, renowned in terms of recycling metals and recycling rubbers and and you just and we talked to four or five other groups before this guy and his name's lee and i mean it just it was like he was my brother when we started talking because he just fell in love with what we were doing and then he started coming up conceptual ideas to make it better and that's where i mean you just you just have to scour i mean there's no straight line it's not a you don't pick up the phone and call the first guy and get yeah that's we're going to partner with it's i mean we just we're dial to dollars guy and that's yeah. what we do. Yeah. No, I think that's that's so true. That's so correct. Because when you're finding somebody to partner with, they'll almost organically find you as well. You know, you talk to enough people, and like you said, when you talk to somebody for a couple minutes, you can tell almost right away that they understand and resonate with it. But when you really know, and you said this perfectly, is when they start kicking you ideas and jump in the process of innovating with you without you prompting them, right? That, that's when it gets super exciting. I mean, that's when true solutions come about and you're like, I mean, it, that's innovation. I mean, that's really what brings new thoughts and new ideas and probably the most rewarding thing of what we do beyond the, I mean, the team, I mean, and that goes across like the partners you have and the team you have when everybody starts contributing on equal value as partners in the company and, and excited about what the mission is. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I think that's a great learning for any listeners. You know, mm-hmm. if you're building a team, you're building a company, be very particular about, you know, who you bring on and make sure that it just, it feels right. Cause you're in the long, you're in it for the long run with these people, you know, it's yeah, like man. a marriage. So you got to make sure that it's, uh, it's clicking because if it doesn't, then that's, that's trouble down the line. No. Yeah. One more thing, but, uh, respect and it's okay to, to challenge each other to get better. You don't want people that just are yes men, yes lady to you. Um, you want a robust team and you want to bring everybody up together to bring new ideas uh, in, a, in an environment where new ideas are healthy. And so when we're operating in the areas we've been operating in now, for so long, new ideas were not healthy thought for people. They wanted to stick with the old guard. Um, so it's always important to challenge yourself and allow people to challenge you so you can get better. Yep. So speaking of challenging and, you know, doing things together and bringing, rising the tide, let's jump into, you know, the future of Eastern Kentucky. You guys are in the roots, digging in there. Um, Eastern Kentucky, just that region in general, you guys are doing obviously work in Indiana and West, West Virginia. I think I remember hearing that on the phone. Um, why, why don't you see, this is a question I had. Why don't you see businesses actively moving in there to begin with, like manufacturing? Why aren't they looking at this region and, and coming there and looking at the people there and saying, like you said, this is a hardworking group of people. Why don't you see people proactively or why don't you see that happening more organically versus what you got, the approach you guys are taking is very proactive and very passionate. Why aren't you seeing businesses doing that just in general organically? So whenever a community, a town, we live in Indianapolis, 
Cincinnati, Louisville, whenever you're looking to attract talent, you need a couple of things. You need really good housing. You need strong educational systems. You need good roads and infrastructure. Uh, the topography in Eastern Kentucky doesn't allow for ease of access for trucks. Um, it's not much cross country interstate through Eastern Kentucky. Uh, the housing there is substantially lacking. Um, so you, it's hard to attract talent, uh, you know, plant foremen, plant engineers, higher ups that work like a Toyota to move there, right? Um, and there's also just a bit of a flyover effect where that's mining country. They will not do anything other than mining. And Mark, maybe you can speak to how we have that the boots on the ground experience to know these guys and gals who've done this work can and want to do other manufacturing type jobs. And that's why we're creating like nimble, small, sustainable businesses that don't need a wide geographic footprint. They don't necessarily need, uh, you know, coast to coast travel, you know, uh, capabilities, but um, maybe Mark, you can talk a little more about that. Yeah, too. I mean, I think it's, I mean, the big thing about it is, the, the challenge that East Kentucky has is one is logistics. I mean, in any business other than pure technology, you have, you, you have to get product in and out. And, and that's, that creates challenges for Eastern Kentucky in that it's, it has a logistics challenge. Now they're working on the roadways and they're doing that. And then, and Kirk, as Kirk pointed out, I mean, geographic or population density, it's, it's not an overly dense population base. And, the the desire of the job base has typically been coal mining. Now, if you look where we're at today, I and mean, we're two years into a, a cycle that I don't think is going to stop, or even five years into a cycle that's not going to stop, with the decline of therm thermal coal mining, these the the coal miners are probably some of the, honestly the most talented people you can find. I mean, when you come to them with a problem, and to see what the problems they solve in coal mining, those are super complex. I mean, these guys are a hell of a lot smarter than I am, and they come up with these ideas and these solutions and, and now they're getting to the point where like I said earlier I mean we had one of our best electricians that ever worked for our mining company came to us and said I would love to run better recycled mulch he's like give me that opportunity I'm like yeah you got it like <laughs> it, it's yours I mean you can have it, it don't beat me up um and because he's it, it just fit his skill set so well but before he wanted to be a coal miner and and there's and coal mining is a prideful job and it should be I mean they're super hard workers but to bring them other opportunities now, just given the decline of it, and I mean, just given the lack of jobs, it, it makes it hard for, it, it historically has made it hard to bring manufacturing there. One, logistics, and then two, just desire of job base. I think that's changing. Um, I think logistics is still going to be a problem. They are doing a lot of work on the roads and making them much more accessible. But I mean, even like airports, to get to Eastern Kentucky, when I used to live in New York, I, I would drive from New York to Eastern Kentucky almost every other week because I couldn't fly like yeah. commercial flights. It took me longer to fly commercially to get to Eastern Kentucky than it did to drive. You mentioned earlier on in the, in this conversation of you guys relying and, and, and utilizing these incentives that the government is giving. So maybe talk a little bit about what the government's doing well to help out with that. And then maybe some areas for improvement where it could do a little bit better to, to help this continue on and in, in the, the trend you guys are setting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, the, the programs that work best for us are, 
government incentives that don't come directly from the government. So there's a lot of tax credit programs out there that are run by uh, the, the U.S. banks, uh, Wells Fargo's of the world, where they are actually making business decisions with their capital. And on the back end, they pick up an incentive from the government. So we work really well with, it, with those programs. Uh, one is a new markets tax credit program because we offer a sustainable business to these investors. They will get a return on their capital while getting the job creation benefit that the program allows. And then we can work on other avenues of, of loans, uh, investment capital with these institutions. Um, what the government could do better um, is support. I mean, that's what it is, right? So um, we, we want them on our side. Uh, we're all in it together to work for the community. Um, one of the exciting things that, you know, Mark, I'm not sure if we want to talk about it or not, but the uh, product offtake for uh, our mulch business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's in West Virginia and Kentucky, we're, we're designing facilities in both of them right now, is working with the governments, cutting the red tape to stop the legacy way of purchasing and get out there and support the entrepreneurial businesses that are, that are making change and bringing innovation to communities. And, and that is, I mean, and it's hard. I mean, I get it. Like if you're running a, a municipality or, or a state government or a federal government for that matter, I mean, everybody thinks they should do things a lot differently. And I mean, I probably complain about them too. They have a tough job. I get it. Um, but it's get out there and support the entrepreneurial companies that, that really need to start. And, and we're fortunate that we we're in a little bit different spot than a startup that doesn't, we have, we have other relationships and we have other business avenues that we can take our products to, but, um, getting out there and, and not getting stuck in the ways of I contract with this guy over here. Cause I've done it for the last 30 years and he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars because he's worked for the government for 30 years and, or provide been a supplier of the government get out there and start the new companies, get out there and, and, and work with some of these innovators, not just us, but anybody. I mean, look on the technology side of, I mean, looking at some of these government programs and I mean, looking at this COVID-19, the, the rollout of some of these funds, they need some help and they need, they need some of the entrepreneurial tech guys that are out there to do it too. So, you know, we always try to end on a forward looking note. You know, I think that was part of it, which is let's get the government behind this, but particular to you all, where do you hope this, you know, where do you hope land betterment goes in, in five, 10 years? And how do you want to bring the region along with you guys? Give us that, that overarching vision. I mean, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I have grandiose dreams. Um, <laughs> land betterment, I hope, honestly, is viewed as a thought leader in the space in that we're bringing innovation. But what I hope truly happens is we bring other companies with us. Um, one thing, one point that Kirk made earlier, and, and I truly believe this, is that the rising tide rises all ships. And for us to make change in the community, we need more people to do it alongside of us. And, and that it's not competition. Um, what I hope is, and I truly do hope, is Eastern Kentucky is thriving in five to 10 years. And I hope it is not viewed as a place that is coal mining country only. Now, I hope coal mining jobs thrive there as well but i hope that the other industries around it continue to grow i mean and and continue to innovate and our businesses are hopefully thriving i mean i hope 
I'm hoping we're having in five years from now, I hope we have five mulching facilities in Eastern Kentucky and there's, we, we already have plans for three. So um, the, the idea of land betterment, I'm hoping though, truly is it brings other people alongside. It's no different than app harvest is doing. They're doing a great job of, of yep. innovating and on the, on the, uh, on the agriculture side of things. And, and we're, I mean, we actually, we'd love to reach out to them and talk to them about some of the lands that we already have access to, to see what we can do there. Um, because at the end of the day, it's not a, it's not one company wins and it shouldn't be one company wins. There's so much needed in this area to make it just an awesome place to live that I hope that it's a place that a destination that people are like, yeah, I want to move to the mountains and I want to work for this tech company or I want to work for this recycling company or I want to manage eco villages of Perry County. I mean, to me, that's, that's what I want people to come. I want people to be moving into the community, not moving out. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and one last thing would be, attracting capital and attention to this area. So yes. the last company we took public, we went through the normal IPO route led by a bank. Um, Mark and I spent six days in airports and Ubers um, doing our road show and very little time actually talking to people who cared about what we were doing. They're just looking at the numbers. Um, so with land betterment, we actually chose to do a crowd fundraise as our first outside equity offering. And we chose a partner through Fundopolis to do that raise uh, because they value social impact and community impact alongside of, of sustainable businesses. Um, and so we want to attract both community capital into the regions we're operating and awareness be, mm -hmm. because we don't want the money on the coast to overlook this area any longer. Man, I love that. And, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, I just want to kind of say for myself, uh, you know, I was born and raised in Eastern Kentucky and that's where my heart is. That's where I kind of became who I am today. And man, it is inspiring to listen to you guys talk about it and talk about these people that have been left behind for so long. Cause you know, I've, I've seen it and I know a lot of people in my area are feeling the same way. They're feeling forgotten and left behind. And what you guys are doing is you're bringing hope into this area. And man, I can't, I can't thank you guys enough for that. And I just, I want to see you guys succeed in, in every way possible. I think it's really, really awesome what you guys are doing. We appreciate you letting us talk a little bit about it. I can get, yeah. We can get a little passionate, a little long winded at times, but uh, I mean, what you guys are doing too. I mean, I applaud you guys for letting people tell a little bit about their story. You've seen some success of the companies you brought on here before, and, and that's awesome. So we appreciate you.